Chapter thirty four of Herb of Grace. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Rita Boutros. Herb of Grace by Rosa Nuchette Carey. Chapter thirty four Traveling through Sahara. The hope I dreamed of was a dream, was but a dream and now i wake exceeding comfortless and worn and sad for a dream's sake christina rossetti for the next few weeks malcolm was much occupied with business but he contrived to pay a flying visit to oxford and to spend a few hours with dinah and cedric he had corresponded with dinah regularly and her letters told him all he most wished to know at first they had been very sad cedric had broken down utterly on seeing his sisters and both she and elizabeth had been very much upset the change in him was so great that they could hardly recognize their bright-faced boy and dinah owned that they had been shocked by the hard reckless manner in which he had spoken i think mr jacoby's influence has done great harm she wrote Cedric says such extraordinary things sometimes that I feel quite frightened to hear him. He never used to talk so. Surely Oxford cannot have done this. Malcolm ground his teeth rather savagely when he read this. He has poisoned the wells, he said to himself a second time. There is no punishment too severe for one who tries to contaminate the innocence of youth. Dinah's letters became more cheerful after a time. Cedric liked having her near him, and she saw him for an hour or two every day. Elizabeth had not come down again. David Carleon was not well. He had caught a fresh cold, and Elizabeth seemed worried about him, all the more that his sister was with him, and Theo did not understand nursing. "'Theo Carleon is rather an unsatisfactory person,' wrote Dinah. By and by she gave him news of Leah Jacoby. Mrs. Godfrey's brilliant idea was certainly likely to be verified. Mrs. Richardson had been several times to the manor house, she wrote, and had evidently taken a fancy to Leah. A few days later there was still more satisfactory news. "'It is all arranged,' she wrote triumphantly. "'Mrs. Richardson has engaged Miss Jacoby as a travelling companion, and will pay her a handsome salary.' They are to leave England in about ten days' time. Mrs. Godfrey says that she and the Colonel will be quite sorry to lose their guest. Miss Jacoby is so gentle and affectionate that they have both grown fond of her, and Mrs. Godfrey predicts that Mrs. Richardson will never part with her. Malcolm paid his second visit to Oxford soon after the receipt of this letter. Dinah was delighted to see him, and to hear that he intended to spend a quiet Sunday with them. "'I was just going to write to you,' she said, when the first greetings had passed between them. "'Cedric was so upset last night. He had a letter from that odious man, Jacoby. Such a letter, written on a dirty scrap of paper in pencil. But I will show it to you. Cedric left it here.' And Dinah unlocked her writing-case." Malcolm frowned as he read it. "'I am up Queer Street, my boy,' wrote Jacoby. Twelve Gresham Gardens is in the hands of the bailiffs, and every stick of furniture is to be sold. 
and as England is rather too hot for me just now, I am going to make tracks for New York. If I could see that sister of mine, I would give her a piece of my mind. What a cursed fool the girl has been! But it is all that fellow Herrick's fault. He is a deep one, and he has a game of his own on hand. I am as sure of that as my name is Saul Jacoby. Well, ta-ta, old fellow. I will let you know my diggings later on. Hang that fellow! If it had not been for him, we should have pulled the job through, and you would have had the handsomest wife in Europe. Well, that game's played out, and I was never the one to cry over spilt milk. A short life and a merry one, that's my creed. Yours up to date, Saul Melchior Jacobi. So we are rid of the brute for the present, observed Malcolm. The expression seemed to alarm Dinah. For the present? she repeated anxiously. My dear lady, he returned gravely, do you suppose that we have seen the last of Saul Jacobi? Indeed, indeed, I hope so, very earnestly. Then hope told a flattering tale, and you must not believe her, replied Malcolm, smiling. The Jacobis of this life are not so easily shaken off. Like the horse leech's daughters, they cry, give, give. I should not be the least surprised if a series of begging letters with the New York postmark reach Cedric at due intervals. Oh, Mr. Herrick, what shall we do? Do? Why, put them in the fire, unread. That will be my advice to Cedric. I know exactly the sort of letters that fellow will write. The first one will be jocular and friendly, and the business part will be in the postscript. The second will be pathetic and somewhat reproachful, and the demands more urgent. Finally, if money is not forthcoming, he will bluster and threaten and make himself exceedingly unpleasant. Cedric must simply have no dealings with him, and above all things he must take no notice of his letters. I hope you will tell Cedric this, and Malcolm promised that he would speak to him very plainly. But Cedric was not the docile pupil of old. The lad's sweet disposition and milk of human kindness had soured under the sudden shock of his trouble. The loss of his sweetheart and the consciousness of his own misconduct filled him with bitterness and made him at times very irritable. Dinah's gentleness suited him better than Malcolm's bracing counsels, and her exceeding patience with him in his fits of despondency sometimes roused him to penitence. By Malcolm's advice, she had told him in guarded terms that Leah was well, and with friends, who intended to take her abroad. But no entreaties on Cedric's part could induce her to reveal the names of Leah's protectors, or how she had received the information. Cedric complained bitterly to Malcolm that they were all treating him like a child. Not at all, my dear fellow, was Malcolm's answer. It is by Miss Jacoby's wish that we keep silence. The lady who has engaged her as a companion is a stranger to all of us, but I believe she is a very kind-hearted woman, and that Miss Jacoby will be very comfortable with her. Comfortable, a companion, my beautiful Leah. But the pain was too great, and Cedric burst into tears. After all, he was little more than a boy, and Malcolm remembered this, and was patient. On Sunday afternoon, as they were coming out of chapel, Dinah said suddenly, 
I quite forgot to tell you that Mr. Rossiter has been at the manor house again, and has seen Leah, and quite approves of the arrangement with Mrs. Richardson. He is going back to America, and has promised to keep an eye on Saul Jacoby. He was quite confidential with Leah. He is rather intimate with them, returned Malcolm. Indeed, I believe he is in love with the fair Rebecca himself, for he had never forgotten Elizabeth's name for her. Hugh Rossiter is a fine fellow, and would suit her a hundred times better than poor old Cedric. Ah, oh, well, he is too cunning a hunter to make a false shot, but I have a notion that he will try again some day. And then Cedric came out and joined them, and they walked back to the lodgings. Malcolm was going back to town that evening, and when Cedric had left them, Dinah talked a little about her future plans. "'Cedric is so much better,' she said, "'that I think I can go home next week. "'He will follow me in another fortnight, "'and I do not like leaving Elizabeth so long alone.' "'I think you told me that she was worried about Mr. Carleon,' "'returned Malcolm with manifest effort. "'Yes, indeed, and she may well be,' replied Dinah with a sigh. "'Young men are so reckless and imprudent. "'At least David is. "'Just think of his madness, Mr. Herrick.' He is not strong, and he takes cold more easily than other people. He got very wet taking a funeral for a clergyman at Dinglefield, and when he reached home, instead of changing his clothes, he went a mile farther to baptize a dying child. He was soaking by the time he got back, and a bad feverish cold set in. Elizabeth insisted that Dr. Randolph should see him, and she wrote to Theo herself, but I fancy from her letters that she rather repented of sending for her. But poultices were needed, and Mrs. Pratt, his landlady, is simply an impossible woman. However, things have worked so badly between them that Theo has gone back to Stokely, and Elizabeth declares that even her brother is thankful to be rid of her. But he is better now. He is up and about again, but he doesn't lose his cough, and I can see Elizabeth is anxious. You look surprised, but I assure you my sister has some reason for her fears. David's mother was consumptive, and two of his sisters died young of the same complaint. Theo is the only robust one, and David knows well that he ought to take care. Mr. Carleon is always worrying about him. Malcolm tried to express his sympathy properly, but he felt he acquitted himself badly. Was this the reason, he wondered, why Elizabeth had looked so grave? But he thought it wiser not to dwell on the subject. Malcolm was having a bad time just then. The excitement of the Jacoby episode had roused him for a while, but now natural reaction had set in, and the deadness and dullness of his daily routine oppressed him intolerably. Nothing interested him, nothing gave him pleasure. His literary work, the society of his friends, even his nightly smokes with the faithful Goliath, were like the dust and bitterness of the apples of Sodom. The present was like the desert of Sahara to him, and the future a perfect cavern of gloom. He was tired of himself and everyone else, and though he did not know it, his nerves were unstrung, and he could not always control his irritability. But he did his best— and fought his foul fiend gallantly. He is a good divine that follows his own instructions, he would say grimly, when he compelled himself to make fresh efforts. Anything was better than brooding, he thought. 
and in the evenings he would resist the temptation to yield to his weariness and to take possession of his easy chair for he knew too well that at such hours he was not master of his thoughts and that in fancy the empty chair opposite to him would not long be unoccupied how often had he pictured elizabeth there as the companion of his solitude how often had her bright face with its changing expression come between him and his book and in the gloaming her pleasant voice with its quick breaks and hesitation its characteristic abruptness had sounded in his ears sometimes he would walk to and fro in a perfect agony of impatience and passionate rebellion against his fate i am possessed but it is with an angel in woman's shape he would say to himself and yet she is no angel either she is far too human and her faults oh well with a dreary laugh her faults are elizabethan too but once when the bitterness of his pain was too great he muttered to himself a strange thing it is i who ought to be in his place he said she is bewitched david carleon's simplicity and goodness have bewitched her but he is not her rightful mate and then he struck himself fiercely on the breast and whispered he is here he is here elizabeth but in spite of his inward sadness he would not spare himself and every week he went as usual to queensgate to dine with his mother but the long evenings tried him and he found it difficult to hide his ennui and weariness from his mother's sharp eyes one evening just before christmas anna made some remarks on his tired looks in her gentle affectionate way and he had checked her with unwonted irritability i wish you would get out of that habit of commenting on people's looks he said quite angrily it is very objectionable to me i suppose every one is tired and out of sorts at times but it does no good to notice it i am sorry malcolm i will try to remember next time faltered anna but the tears were in her eyes and a few minutes later she left the room mrs herrick ventured on a remonstrance i am afraid you have hurt anna she said she is so sensitive and you were quite rough with her i am afraid i was returned malcolm penitently but if you only knew how it riles a man to be watched so closely it was a very natural speech on anna's part replied his mother in her sensible matter-of-fact way the truth is malcolm you have not been like yourself for months you are ill or worried and you do not wish us to take any notice well you shall have your way but it is a little hard on us both mother there is nothing that i can tell you you know i have said that before one must have worries in this life but malcolm checked himself as anna came back into the room she was rather quiet and subdued all dinner-time though she tried to appear as usual and malcolm's conscience pricked him unmercifully later on he found himself alone with her she was drawing at a little round table and he went and stood by her anna chen he said caressingly as he put his hand under her chin and made her look at him i was a brute to speak to you as i did of course you meant it kindly dear but it seemed to rub me up the wrong way i think i am tired this evening anyhow my head aches and malcolm might have added with truthfulness that his heart ached too yes and i worried you it was very tactless and foolish on my part and again the ready tears started to anna's eyes 
but malcolm would not allow this his dear little anna was always kind and thoughtful and he had no right to be so savage with her my mother is always hinting at my changed looks but indeed i try to be as usual if i behave so badly i must keep away but this threat so alarmed anna that he took back his words he is very unhappy i think he gets more so anna thought as she stood by her window that night and of course it is elizabeth who makes him so and that night anna again wept and prayed for malcolm her dearest brother as she called him for deep down in her girlish heart there was buried the pure virginal love that she had unconsciously given him a love that no touch or breath would ever wake into life now malcolm was very repentant for days over his unkind speech and on christmas eve when he paid his next visit he brought anna a peace offering in the shape of a valuable proof engraving of a picture she had long coveted malcolm had had it beautifully framed anna was enchanted with the gift but mrs herrick privately called her son to account for his extravagance there was no need to make anna such an expensive present she said seriously you must have paid twenty guineas for that engraving you are too lavish in your generosity she would be quite satisfied with some pretty trifle i am quite sure of that he returned but it is such a pleasure to give her things indeed mother as mrs herrick still looked grave i can well afford it i have more money than i know how to spend and as i am not likely to marry i see no good in hoarding Malcolm was right in saying that his income was too large for a bachelor, for in addition to the salary he drew from his literary post, his mother insisted on making him a handsome allowance, and every quarter day a large sum was placed to his account at his banker's, which Malcolm rarely touched. "'You are my only son, and there will be plenty for you when I die,' she had said to him, "'and Anna shall have her share too.' your father was a rich man malcolm and there was no need for you to work unless you wished to do so but malcolm soon convinced her that an idle life was not to his taste just after the new year malcolm received rather a reproachful letter from mrs godfrey accusing him of forgetting their existence of course you will say you are busy she wrote but i do not mean to accept that excuse you can spend a quiet sunday with us as well as at oxford and i beg to remind you that i am an older friend than dinah templeton then malcolm somewhat reluctantly made up his mind to accept the invitation for the following saturday although he was hardly in the mood for his old friend's lively talk to his surprise his genial hostess received him rather gravely and it struck him at once that her cheerfulness was a little forced and with the familiarity of their intimate friendship he at once taxed her with it colonel godfrey is well and you are quite well he said pointedly and yet something seems troubling you you are quite right she returned with a sigh you know i am rather a sympathetic person mr herrick and i have been very much upset this morning by a letter from elizabeth templeton mr carleon has been up to town to consult dr broderick his father took him and from what she says there is nothing to be done the poor fellow is in a rapid decline and as she said this mrs godfrey's eyes were full of tears End of chapter thirty four